I'd had a tough conversation with the leadership team about projected delivery dates um, before we kicked off Shape Up for what we were trying to deliver, you know, talking to various teams of that were doing the work, um, you know, and I think we we brought forward that delivery by about four months, which was wild. <laughs> um, so that was really the biggest um, win out of it, just going, well, I'd already had this tough conversation and then suddenly I had a very different conversation around um, you know, so we'd already done the kind of the hard stuff and then actually it was all, it was like um, under promising and over delivering in that, in that way. Uh, so it felt great to just, so with the team, we, we have nothing to lose here. We've got the time. We've been given the grace this period to give this a crack. Let's see what we can get delivered and getting something out by the end of it was uh, not only great for me, but morally for the team. I think that just the positivity was phenomenal. And I think the ownership was huge. Um, I've never seen people be so invested in how something was performing ever, <laughs> you know, giving, yeah. you know, asking for metrics, asking for how people were using what, what we built and delivered um, was really exciting. And uh, yeah, just giving people owner ownership of the work as well was a huge piece of it. Welcome to Shapers and Builders the show about better ways to deliver great software products. Today I'm speaking with Bartwin van der Poels and Melissa Matthews of Go See Travel, a global car rental and motorhome rental site. Bartwin joined Go See as an agile lead about a year ago and piloted ShapeUp together with Melissa, a product manager on one of the teams at Go See. This conversation is part of a series about companies that use ShapeUp a delivery framework originally created at Basecamp. If you've never heard of ShapeUp, check the show notes for a link to the video Shaping in a Nutshell by Ryan Singer, former head of strategy at Basecamp and author of the book ShapeUp, Stop Running in Circles and Ship Work That Matters. In our conversation, we talk about how Melissa's team got started with ShapeUp and the many pushbacks and doubts that Bartwin and Melissa had to navigate, even with the leadership level. Eventually, we'll learn how the team built momentum within the first cycle and was able to deliver a critical project months ahead of schedule. You'll hear us frequently come back to the topic of refinement and how ShapeUp pulled the team together and empowered or maybe even forced them to collaborate more. I'm excited to get to share these insights with you because the implementation of ShapeUp at GoSee is the largest that I've witnessed to date. By the time of our recording, Bartvin had just kicked off the first cycle for a total of 20 teams across GoSee Travel. So here it goes. Enjoy the conversation with Melissa and Bart. Bartvin, Melissa. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I do want to talk to you about your experience in adopting ShapeUp at a really big scale at GoSee Travel, and we'll get to that in a minute. But before we start, uh, would you mind introducing yourselves a bit, your backgrounds, and now your role um, at GoSee Travel? So, hi, Bartwin van der Poels. As you can tell, I am not a native Kiwi, but actually Dutch. And I have uh, been working in New Zealand for the past couple of years, three plus years now, and uh, now working for GoSee Travel and uh, working there in the capacity of Agile, Agile Lead, Agile Coach. And um, 
we have been uh, trying to update our ways of working to uh, to maximize our efforts. Cool. Thank you. Melissa, what about you? Uh, I am a the e-commerce product manager at GoSee Travel. I've been at GoSee for two years now. Um, prior to that, I was working at Air New Zealand for seven years as uh, e-commerce uh, optimization specialist. So I've been in the e-com optimizing website world for a long time um, and have always been very interested in product management. So happy to have made that change in my career at GoSee. Would you like to know cool. more about the background on Scrum Agile, that sort of a thing? Or is, the, or is this enough of an introduction? I mean, if you want to, you can just kind of back it up by your how many years you've been doing this across how many companies, what teams of sizes, something like that. Well, the, I, I, the only purpose it would have, other than to toot my own horn, is, uh, is <laughs> to uh, highlight a bit that I, I have... Um, the topic of this discussion is from Scrum to shape up and, and why did we make that trend transition at all? So having been an, uh, a consultant in, in, in all things agile and Scrum master product owner and all these different roles, I think that's, that's an interesting one to add. So I have quite a bit of a, a track record and experience working in, in Scrum, agile, Kanban, you know, save all the other frameworks that you can think of. So uh, happy to take those uh, experiences along when we start discussing ShapeUp. Awesome. And just to set the scene on GoSee, um, how big is the company? Uh, how would you describe kind of the life cycle stage? Because I do talk with a lot of people who are implementing ShapeUp at startup scale, you know, companies three, four years old. And obviously that is not you. So can you kind of set the scene on the scale of, of the company a bit? So GoSee Travel is... 15 plus years old our primary role is in renting motorhomes and car rental as well so we have two different websites uh, that aggregate car rental companies and motorhome rentals so uh, the service that we provide for our users is that you can come and search and find the best deal um, and, or the best motorhome or car for your for your um, journey and it's yeah we're global and we're in seven different languages. So we really serve a wide variety of, of customers um, in many countries. So it's very exciting. Um, and of course, coming out of COVID, we're now looking forward to the future of travel. Um, and it's a very exciting time to be working in that space. And how many people do you have working specifically in kind of the product development organization? Top of my head, I don't know how many um, are in our product organization. You might know the numbers, but in our team, we've got um, six developers, BA t testing team, and we're supported by a UX team of two, um, shortly going to be three. And how many other product teams do we have? Do we have four? Six, six others six? than yours, right? Yeah. Okay. Six yeah. product teams. And in, in terms of being fully in the product structure, we're, we're reasonably junior. Um, we experimented with agile cross-functional teams probably in the last three years that weren't permanent product teams. They were sort of put together to deliver um, business priorities. Um, and they were a great way to start and a great way to kind of dip the company's toes and uh, toes in being agile um, and to deliver exciting projects um, but of course they weren't permanent so the fallout of that is that you have 
short-term deliveries um, and then you don't really think about the long-term management of those deliveries um, but we have been in the fully permanent product space for just over a year now I'd say or maybe a little bit longer than that. What was the world before those three years where you said we've kind of started our agile journey there what was it like before that? So I've only been at GoSee for two years so before that I'm not fully sure but what I understand is that it was a real startup mentality in the business for a long time and I think that's why um, Airport Rentals and Motorhome Republic which are two different um, public facing websites I think that's why they were so successful um, is because they were built really quickly in a market that was really competitive and were really built especially Airport Rentals was built um, structured around Uh, Google AdWords, um, the name really being structured for that, airport rentals, um, car rentals. So we're really great and geared up for when people are searching for cars. They tend to want to book a car at an airport. Um, and so the founders were really, um, I guess, sharp in that space. And they had people and they, you know, they really knew at the time when they, when the business was founded that you had to be um, if you knew how to do Google AdWords correctly at that early stage, um, you'd really be first in the market. And, um, you know, that's continued to evolve. And the way they built um, and customized the sites were they were really into A-B testing really, really early on and optimization really early on. And so there was this great, um, from what I understand, mentality in the business that if you had an idea, you would just go for it and they would test it and try it. And anyone could contribute to that funnel of ideas. Um, and so I think that was really why they were successful so early and continue to be as well. Mm -hmm. But that mentality somehow kind of lost its usefulness at some point. Yeah, I think it's hard when you get bigger and bigger. And then you, um, we were acquired by Webjet just before COVID hit. Um, and of course, when you start to get to the size, um, you have to start playing a little bit more by the rules. Um, and you become a little bit more of that corporate structure where you get bigger and bigger. And I think, um, yeah, you just, uh, you have to do a bit of growing up. And so there was, you know, bigger teams put in place. Um, and I think what happened was just when you have so many people working in silos, it's really hard to kind of think on your feet that quickly. And that dream of being in that startup sphere, you know, everyone, a lot of the, the um, people were still, the people that were in the founding space still remained. Um, and so there was a lot of this, oh, we used to do it like this and we used to move so quickly. And then it become, we became really bogged down in the tech um, of how we, you know, when you build really fast at the beginning, you might not be thinking about future-proofing yourself. Um, so in my mind, I think they need, they were trying to get back to this space where they could be innovative, um, move quickly like they did at the beginning. Um, and I, I guess from what I understand, you know, looking at the way product teams are put together is they had to start serving our tech in different ways and also thinking more about the customer. So I think that's where the, the idea around bringing in that agile cross-functional team started. Um, but that became, that was great for a time, but that, yeah, became a bit of a challenge in terms of short-term delivery and then realizing that we weren't continuing to serve what we were trying to deliver and it kind of would be delivered and then stop. There wasn't any of that continued focus and innovation and also thinking about the customer as well. 
Bachman, do you want to talk us through when you joined, what were you seeing? How were you observing the organization and the, sure. the issues and the opportunities, I guess? I think one of the earliest things, well, any anybody joining a new organization would do some bit of analysis, right? So what is this new organization I'm, I'm stepping into? What are the teams like? What's the way that we create value if you want to want to take it that, that broad? Um, so one of the first things that I, I saw, and I through my years as a, as a consultant and, and uh, agile professional, for lack of a better word, typically this happens in all uh, organizations, especially the bigger ones, is a lack of refinement or attention for refinement. So a big business idea, how do we break it down into smaller stuff so we can actually consume that into our production and make sure that we can deliver on those things? And if so, how can we do that in a continuous cadence so we're not just delivering once each year or something uh, extreme like that and how so do you the, spot this issue of missing refinement like what's a tell for you well a major tell of course is that the uh, production teams or the people executing the work are actually doing the refinement as they are in the midst of their let's say sprints if they're taking a scrum framework so all of a sudden they have a big chunk of work, let's say build X or build app that does X, Y, Z. Uh, and then they'll be discussing amongst themselves, how do we get to this point? What is this app all about? What is this functionality we're building? So therefore refining, but we still have to actually deliver on stuff. So we have a structure in place, which is often sometimes a bit convolu uh, convoluted, meaning we have user stories. We want to estimate with story points. We don't know quite how. Uh, we have events, but we, we're lacking certain support either from a scrum master or something else. So now all of these things come into this bucket. And then um, for me, it's, it's, it's just asking the right questions to those teams to say, how do we know what we're, how do we know if we're building it correct? How do we know what the, actual output is that we want or outcome rather that we want to deliver so you kind of you you come in and you you spot these issues with refinement being not where it should be how do you turn from that to shape up what was your previous relationship with shape up well, uh, uh, my previous relation with the shape was quite light um, I've been a, I've been a fan of, of uh, not 37 signals per se, but I read the books of Jason Fried and I understand where he's coming from. I thought he always had business ideas that were very practical and, and applicable. And, you know, it, they, they, they do not talk the talk only, but they walk the walk, right? So they have their own uh, software products that are quite successful as well. So, so as an agilist, you start, or at least I would, uh, start to look outside of the box, right? who who what's the new thing what's the what's the improvement who has tackled this refinement thing uh, correctly because i was seeing it at all these different companies um so that's how i got into touch with uh, with shape up as as a um as a way of delivering value and of course read the book uh, which is online and 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 and, and started thinking about it and uh, at gosi I was for the first time in, in a role in which I was more free to say, I want to, I, I, if I can make the case, we can start piloting uh, this 
this way that will allow us for better refinement to happen, therefore more success in our delivery. So, like I said, you start to analyze and build that case to be presented to leadership, to show them not just with interviews and and, and, um, and uh, qualitative stuff, but also quantitatively to show that there is a leakage going on or there is an error in the way that we operate. Um, and then... Uh, luckily enough, they were they were uh, uh, listening to me and uh, and allowed us to do a pilot. So, can you recall what you exactly put in that case? Like, what do you think made leadership say you have a good point here? I believe this story you're telling me. Other than my blue eyes, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no. Basically, it was uh, uh, like I said. At least get enough uh, data points in, even roughly but also back it up with some examples of deliveries that were happening at the time to show how those deliveries were um, being hampered by the lack of refinement. Um, so you could, you could simply point to and say, this is a current delivery we're doing. This is the current time path it's on. Uh, this is what's hindering that delivery. Uh, and therefore we, we wouldn't really need to look into uh, refinement, especially when it comes to how do we select our initiatives to work on. It's another common theme in in any company that you have kind of a scattershot approach. So we want to be number one in the market. So let's do 20 different initiatives, and uh, we'll see. We'll, hopefully, all of them will pan out, and then it works. And then even if you take those 20 on, more than likely in the delivery of those 20, something else flies in. And everything needs to be uh, broken up and something new direction needs to be taken. So I think what I like about one of the things I like about Kanban, for instance, is that is that um, a motto of, um, you know, stop starting, start finishing. So you want to limit the stuff that you do to make sure that you're you're actually delivering something. So that's 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 part of that way that we had that conversation with leadership. So allow enough business cases to to uh, underpin your point, uh, use some some key metrics, and then also make the investment kind of small. So this was a pilot investment of, of one team, right? We, we I did not say let's overhaul the entire company and and everybody switches off from the scrum framework which the product teams were on and we're all going to do shape up now but um we we opted for for asking for one team and luckily enough melissa's team and melissa was uh, were brave enough to say yes we're going to give the shape up a go and uh and and that helps because after that you have some actual uh, data points and some some evidence to point to because we now, or that team is now in cycle four. So we have some actual deliveries to show for. Each, at the end of each cycle, we were able to deliver something of, of significant value. And then yeah. it becomes, uh, you start to build your case for, for stakeholders to go. There is merit to this idea. Melissa, what was your initial re reaction to shape up? I think we were at a point where we didn't have a lot to lose um, because we were, we had been trying to deliver a big chunky piece of work for probably a better part of a year um, whilst also serving BAU um, 
and other asks uh, from the business, from leadership. Uh, and so we've been partially kind of splitting our sprints into, you know, this is what we need to deliver uh, BAU and then working in the background on this big chunky piece of work. And then it got closer and closer to our deadline that we had sort of picked out of thin air, you know, at some point when we had a light refinement, you know, earlier in the year where we think, okay, well, this is what we think we have to deliver and this is what we think it's going to be the effort. Um, and then that deadline, you know, kept kept creeping and creeping. Um, and then it got the conversation for me as a PM was really tough because I kept having to inform my stakeholders that, um, you know, that we were delaying and we were delaying. Uh, and so when Bart presented Shape Up to me, I was like, let's give it a crack because what's going on right now is not working. And it wasn't just from the outside. And you could see that I could see it from the inside out. And a lot of my team were a bit frustrated um, because really what was happening was I, myself and my BA, we were spending so much time in refinement and not doing a great job of it. And the reason we weren't doing a great job of it was because it, we were so siloed in the way we were working. You know, we had a UX team up the funnel doing their work and doing their designs. Then we had BA and, you know, working with the UX team to, to write requirements and refinement and making sure we knew from the business what needed to be done. You know, then I was layering on my piece and it was kind of going through this funnel and then getting to the, the developers at the end um, and then, you know, them looking at what we were asking and they're saying, well, this is way harder than what our initial conversation was. So this was this kind of loop that was happening where we, you know, you, looking, it's always easy retrospectively to, to look at that and go, duh like you know yeah. you know get together and and really talk it out but I think there was a lot of because as well there we had different levels in the business we had really senior engineers and really junior designers so when you ask people to collaborate that's really hard sometimes if you don't give them a safe environment to do so um so just expecting people to have conversations where we would figure out quite early on if things were going to be a problem was challenging for people. And of course, when you've got quite a big team, I couldn't oversee all of that. Um, I needed people to be in, take that initiative and have those meetings outside of me managing them or my BA, you know, managing them because we were absolutely at capacity with everything that was going on. And so we were just kind of in this, we had so much work to do all the time. It just, you couldn't stop and breathe. Um, so when Bart, presented the idea I just thought look what's working it's not working what we're doing there's certain aspects of of general scrum that we're doing really we were doing great at you know the BAU the bugs cool we're smashing smaller pieces of work out that was fine it was just this bigger piece um, that felt quite colossal at the time um, we just were really struggling there was just so much back and forth between the teams and um, you know so yeah we you know the idea of of people of shape up really for me was about collaboration um, and about taking away the silos of of this funneled up and down way of working um, and so the first thing I thought was it's going to be a bit crazy but we're all going to be thrown into a pen together <laughs> um, and we're going to have to deliver something that was what was really appealing it was that something at the end of this had to be delivered um, and we couldn't 
and the way we were working, we couldn't get anything to delivery because it was always piecemeal. And what we were trying to deliver was a whole experience. There was unfortunately not really a way for us to cut it up smaller. Mm. So, um, which would which would be the ideal way, right? If in, in agile, you want to be delivering in small chunks, but um, just with the way the tech we were delivering in a completely new um, language and we couldn't connect the old to the new um, in a way that would enable us to do it in bits. So we had to deliver one big thing um, to a degree. Uh, so ShapeUp was offering an opportunity for us to go, well, um, if you only have this much time, which is what I liked about it, you know, there's no stretching of time here. There's no delaying. It's like, if you only have this, what can you do? Um, so that's yeah. what I was, what I thought was really appealing when, when Bart. And just it. so that I don't mix up acronyms, BAU would be business as usual. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Call okay. me out if I'm no. doing any <laughs> of those. All good. And yeah. uh, and BA would be business analyst, I'm guessing. Correct. Okay, good. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the conversation. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and to let you know about the Shapers and Builders job board. On shapers.builders, yes, that's the domain, You'll find jobs in software development, design, product management, and other roles at companies that work with ShapeUp. Many of these roles are remote, and teams who use ShapeUp generally run at a more sustainable, healthy, and meaningful pace than the hamster wheel of two-week sprints. So if you're looking for a job in tech or trying to find great people, head over to the Shapers and Builders job board at shapers.builders. Now let's turn back to the conversation. Maybe a good place to start is your first cycle and how you approached it and how you got into that. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. First cycle, right? I think one of the first uh, sessions that we had was everybody in the room chatting through the scope of, uh, of this build. And for as long as I was there, I always heard about a part of the functionality impossible to do within the six weeks, right? We can't do it. And, you know, everybody on their own said it's too, too difficult. And in the room, I think within 15 minutes, we had a solution to include uh, that functionality into our delivery. And that was simply because we had uh, all the different roles in the room. So as we were chatting through it, a senior developer just said, oh, that's easy. We can just do blah, 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 and we can change this the other way around. And would that work? And everybody was like, hadn't thought of that. Actually, yeah, that might work. So that's that's the first real um, grassroots that I saw thinking like, all right, this this is this is this has potential. And then we had our first kickoff which uh, I think uh, Melissa and I estimated for three hours or so, first off. And uh, <laughs> that wasn't nearly enough. I think we, we spent, uh, I think, uh, three times as much, I think, on, on, on getting that correct. So we went through a template. And I do have to put a quick shout out out here to uh, Elon Herbert, which is a, a, a shape up. Uh, professional here in New Zealand and uh, through my network I got into contact with him and he helped me uh, significantly setting up kickoffs and templates and so on so cool so kickoff uh, uh, session started and we went through essentially that that is I think we had a quite big team still do right about 12 13 people I think around that so quite a quite a few people in the room 
and we had to get that motor going of saying, right, so we got this initiative that we want to build. We all are aware of the scope. And now we get need to get started on brainstorming tasks, ideating tasks that you see from your role to be fitted into this. We started using Miro as a, as a tool to, to make sure that everybody can connect and track stuff. And uh, that was, you know, it's, it's challenging for a team who was, who were accustomed to a different kind of delivery, more siloed approach, if you will, to then sort of speak up uh, and also to put their ideas forward into tasks. And, you know, we, we had to go at that and then try to group them together and then started to picking out, similar to you do in, in ShapeUp, way of working, um, you know, the unknowns with the knowns and setting up a refinement plan, essentially what to tackle, which, which bucket of work essentially to tackle first. So as I'm saying this, uh, that takes 30 seconds, but in reality, it took many, many hours. And uh, and I, I, I don't want to, you know, sometimes in a podcast, you only hear the glory stories. Now everything went perfectly. I'm, I'm not too shy to say that that was struggling for us, right? I had a call with, with uh, leadership or other people in a leading role, especially for developers who were not that happy. So why would my developers be in this call for many, many hours and they're not coding anything? They could be coding and building stuff that's also important. And why would they be chatting away and they, 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 they have to get accustomed to that and they don't necessarily like it. And uh, that, that was all fair, right? So, but I, I do think that after we've had that kickoff session, I think it spread out over two days, I think. We got to that refinement plan and then we set up sub teams to to break down the work even further, right? So some spikes were called out and some, some other stuff was called out, obviously, in that session. That's where things really took off because we had a smaller group who were, had put their own talks into it. So they were very connected to, to the content. And then uh, I think that, that then we started to see some traction. Totally agree. I think everyone was a bit freaked out about the intensity I think that was the real difference of like the intensity of the first couple of days. It wasn't just sitting in a meeting and and listening to what your PM is directing you on the work that's going to be done. And then you go, cool, someone's going to hand me a ticket with all the details. It's like I'm at, we're asking everyone to use their brains and think hard about because if we're trying to deliver something and then I'm suddenly you're in a room and I go and, we, and the ask is going, okay, how are we going to deliver it? And, and you're, you you know, everyone needs to contribute to that conversation because the designer, the UX team need to know, um, you know, what they think, what what are the, how much time is it going to take them or could we quickly whip up some, you know, and they, they need to stand up and draw lines, you know, do some whiteboarding. The You know, the engineers need to go, well, that's not possible because of X, Y, Z. And, and my, maybe it was a bit of a cultural thing, but that usually that was kind of kept to everyone's, you know, their own piece. So it was a real, for a bit, it was like, you know, Bart and I sitting there really pushing people out of their comfort zones. Um, to, it's almost like asking people to be a bit vulnerable um, because mm. they're putting themselves in a position where, uh, you know, if, if they're, say, introverted, which many people are in this space, um, asking them to throw an idea up can be a real scary concept. You know, some people really excel at that some certain types and so you also have to try to manage um the room so it's not dominated necessarily by those particular personalities um because you know it's much stronger as a whole um and so 
like the beauty of that has come through now absolutely but at first it was like sometimes drawing blood from a stone a bit of doubt creeping in a few times around is this the right thing to do um because some people are not happy about sitting around and and um contributing or feeling like what are we doing here you know i'm just one of you know i should be behind a computer and i should be doing my job so there was a bit of anxiety about that around the hours that we were initially asking people to to contribute but the absolute beauty of it in the first few days and this is came from that framework that you brought in bar in terms of how we were going to tackle the work that was for me I was like how are we going to prioritize the work how do we know what to do first and the biggest thing there was just going what are the unknowns because there were so many unknowns right and once you once we figured out you know, we wrote all the tasks and heaps of those tasks were explore or um, scope or, you know, you know, research like the, that was a lot of what was initially there. Um, and the, and giving, you know, shape up gives you the time, say we've half of the sprint is supposed to be about doing that, um, which is normally we had no time. Normally it was the sprint before delivery trying to figure out the thing that we we're trying to deliver. In, in a rush. And so suddenly you go, you've got, you're, we're allowing, you know, three whole weeks and potentially we don't need that, but um, giving people the time to go actually scoping and researching is a crucial part of the work. Um, because I think everyone, when traditionally looked at that piece, it was sort of not maybe given enough um, priority or given enough, you know, it's sort of like delivery was the crucial thing, not the, not the research. So, um, but back to my point was that once we figured out that the things that needed to be done first were the unknowns and that initial structure that Bart brought where we um, prioritized the buckets on the biggest reds, you know, we had to label everything. You know, what are the things that are really we're uncertain about delivering or we're worried about trying to deliver in the six weeks? And, and what do we really need to understand? Um, that was great because for the first week, that's all we were doing. Um, was just researching, collaborating, asking questions. Um, and once we got first that, that through that first few days, it was like the noise settled. You know, first of all, it was a lot of people being calls, unsure, is this going to work? Um, a bit of anxiety. Some people were like, this is so great. Our natural collaborators were like, the new UX team were like, this is the best thing ever. Um, yeah. You know, so really different, lots of noise. And then it started to settle and go quiet. It was like we went through it probably the first part of the week of intensity and then suddenly the work started showing itself. It was like we could balance the the talking with the giving people things to do that we had agreed that that was the right work to start with. Um, but, yeah, so it was a bit of a wild ride for at least, at least a week, hey, Bart? I yeah, it was. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think that's a great point you make around uh, collaborating. And I think we, you know, it's always a case of, of setting yourself up for success, but also just a bit of luck as well. I think uh, quite a few characters in the team stood up and and uh, took, a, took a shine to it. And uh, we're way more collaborating uh, and 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 pulling people into their sessions and and those kind of things. So that that worked really well. And I think for any kind of change initiative, you know, humans tend to be a bit scary of change because it means something new and you, and you know you know what you got. And even if it's not working, you prefer that over something new and that hasn't proven itself. I think with this setup, it allows us, like like Melissa was saying 
after a week or so, we, you know, you start to see the results and you yourself are refining, you are researching and the decisions that you make will get acted on and, and it will get built and, and, and that direction is being taken on. So it massively increases the ownership, I think, of, of the team, whereas other typical frameworks, maybe Scrum like to just pick on that one, uh, refinement, setting up requirements is done by product owner with uh, senior BAs or uh, or senior dev people, uh, developers, I mean, of course. Um, so that, that 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 takes away some of the ownership of uh, of the team will just basically get handed, if they're lucky, well-refined uh, tickets. And more often than not, when you start talking to developers, they'll say, yes, I see all the refinements here, but I think if I were to had my hand at the wheel, I would have taken different options here. So even yeah. all that work is then regrettable because then the developer needs to go back and unpack that and go like, well, we can't even build in Java. So I don't know why they put that into the ticket. So we'll just delete all that. And now we need to do that again. And then that's where the typical two-week cadence that's allowed for Scrum starts to starts to break up rhythm instead of allowing it. So I think with Scrum, they have sort of an ideal end state in which if you have all these building blocks set in place correctly, yes, you would have a steady cadence of delivery. But more often than not, we don't take the time to put those building blocks into place. So with building blocks, I mean like having a Scrum master with a cross-functional team uh, face-to-face. So if you take on the Scrum guide stuff, right, which is which is a great piece of writing. But executing it, they always say Scrum is is, is easy, but executing it is quite difficult. And then uh, if, as we start to juggle all our other priorities, then that becomes difficult to, to keep the quality in and therefore a steady cadence of delivery at the end. Yeah. And I, I, I appreciate how open you are uh, about your kind of misjudgment of the kickoff where you thought, you know, this is something I'm going to get through in three hours and then ended up taking two days. If you kind of were to give advice to to yourself in the same position, trying again, kind of in a parallel universe scenario, um, what would you maybe do different? How would you attack things differently knowing what you know now? All in all, I think it's mostly important to get going. You can think everything through, but at some point you have to just get going. Try it out and make sure you have your boundaries set up. So in this case, the boundaries were excellent. We have one team with a very clear scope and delivery. Uh, backing off the stakeholders. Um, yeah, we're going to give it a go. So I think that's, you know, you can always think about things that need to, or you could have done differently or lessons to be learned. But I think the key lesson for anybody is to start small, but start like the Simon Sinek uh, mm. quote, you need to get started. And then uh, uh, don't be afraid to pivot, change, uh, do things differently. Like with our, our testing, we had uh, quite a bottleneck at the end of our big delivery that was you know, messing up our timelines and, and, and causing problems. And then we had smaller stuff to fix. Like, do we want to have a bucket owner, like a bucket of work? Do we do, how do we keep track of all the decisions being made in these subgroups? But I feel like we tackled those things as they were happening. And I think that's, that's just the best way to do it. Rather than think everything through and come with a manual, uh, yeah, you want to get going. What do you think, Melissa? Yeah, that's so true. I think until you do it, um, 
the, you can't be you can't be so prepared to get everything right. So it's being comfortable with with the fact that you're likely not going to get it right for the first time. And I think that helped us a lot, right, Bart, is that our, our tagline for that first week was like, this is just a trial. <laughs> this is a trial. <laughs> yeah. This is a pilot. This is a pilot. We're just, you know, we're not committing to this full time. Um, if it's terrible, it's terrible. And we just kept accepting feedback as as generously as we could. Um, yep. and, and we kept kind of encouraging people to speak about that. Um, and we, you know, showed record of that. Um, Bart was great at, we held... Uh, an early um, retrospective, you know, two weeks in, which was great. People could voice how they felt. But even by that point, the mood had shifted. So if we'd had it earlier, it might have been a different situation. So the two weeks was probably good. Um, so, you know, really accepting that feedback and hearing people out when they weren't super stoked at the beginning. The one thing I would, if I could tell myself then was, you know, for me just to have faith because there was a few moments where I, was like whoa like have faith do <laughs> Bart, Bart and I were looking at each other like oh keep strong we're gonna be good um so yeah just understanding um as well and you and I could have only known this now that we're through it is that that intensity of time at the beginning where people were really drained and, and thinking creatively and, and, and in that intense problem solving space only lasted a short while. Um, and at the time I thought, whoa, is this going to be the way it is all the time? And how we're like, and I think that was everyone's fear was that yeah. they were like, whoa, are we going to have to do this every day? Um, is this like a, my complete new way of working? And some people loved that idea and some people didn't. Um, but looking back now, it was only because we were tackling the hardest problems, the, the trickiest things and the things that you hadn't, we hadn't uncovered at all, but probably because they were the hardest things, they were the hardest conversations to have yeah. and making those big decisions early on, right? So cutting things out of the sprint if we needed to. So I'd done some pre-work with the developers on my own and with the business analysts to kind of frame up what I thought we were going to deliver. But of course, quite early on, um, some of it was was chopped out and some of it was tweaked um, because then we had everyone in the room together, like Bart mentioned earlier. It was sort of, we, we, we picked out things that were too hard. And so that, that were those really hard conversations. And so, yeah, just if I could tell myself then it's okay. And within a week, people are going to have lots of actionable work. And I think people were anxious about um, not having work on a ticket in their list of things to do in those first few days, because we didn't assign anything until we had some of those first things solved. Um, because we didn't want people to do work that wasn't um, the right work to do and to do busy work where they were delivering or yeah. working on things that weren't actually crucial to the sprint or what we were trying to deliver. So until we were really comfortable that we'd, we'd figured out what we did and everyone had agreed what we were delivering, um, we didn't want people to jump in um, and start building um, until we were like, cool, um, we're building in terms of we're testing and we're we're creating together, right? That is kind of the initial build and trial and bring it back to the group. Um, so slightly different. Um, so yeah, that was a, definitely a learning. And so I'm much more comfortable now when we do a kickoff and everyone is more comfortable um, in this first. Yeah, I was going to ask about yeah. that because you mentioned you had, you, you've had four cycles now. Um, mm -hmm. Has ha Have you had the same intensity in those, those first few days as you had for the first cycle or has it, kind of settled down in general now 
I think it's uh, two part, depends on what the initiative is that you're trying to deliver. So it seems like every shape up so far has been different um, for us in terms of what the thing or multiple things are that you're trying to deliver. And we're being, and every shape up sprint we've done has been different and I'm still learning about how the format is going to work for different types. That one was particularly um, a challenge because it was almost like we'd been pushing so hard for so long on a big thing that we, um, that was the first time, you know, we were asking um, multiple teams to self-initiate collaborative meetings where they were solving things, giving them the autonomy to make decisions without myself or our business analysts in the room. That was a big ask for people because there was a lot of nervousness around going, well, we've decided to not do this or we've decided to change what the ask was. So that was new. So I think since then, not only, yeah, the, the time varies depending on, in terms of the first week, the, it varies depending on the unknowns you have for your delivery. So if you've got something that you really aren't super clear what the shape's going to be, then you might have a lot more collaborative refinement kind of type meetings at the beginning. Um, but also the intensities drop down because people feel more comfortable making decisions. They understand the process now because we've put that in place. And it takes a lot of, you know, it takes a lot of time to get an agreement from the team what those processes are going to be. and um, you know, even in the first shape up, we had lots of things that we said, oh, you know, we didn't have owners for the work. So we, that got lost or people didn't report back to the team that this decision had been made or we didn't record it well. So that got missed and crucial people weren't there. You know, so all of that happened in the first sprint mm. um, that, you know, as we went along, we started implementing structures for ourselves that would kind of clean that up. But, you know, every sprint things happen. <laughs> you just keep yep. learning. Yep, true. Yeah, yeah. I think especially the kickoffs went uh, much faster in the cycles that followed. Uh, mm. Although there was in, in a second cycle, we really tried to purposely limit the kickoff, but that ended up biting up, biting us in the rear end later on, because then we 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 felt uncertain about certain things or the order of it. So we took some learning from that as well. You don't want to rush through the kickoff. Essentially that kickoff is really critical to set you up for success for the rest of the six weeks. Yeah. It sounds like that you could fall back into kind of not taking the time to, to refine things. Right? Yeah. You feel like, all right, let's, we heard you, we heard the feedback of the first cycle. We agreed. It was kind of intense. It was uh, full on. So maybe we want to do the other thing. And, and see if we can get pace in our kickoff and go through decisions quicker. But that ended up you know, in a lower quality of refinement and then therefore similar things that we had before. So yeah, so you try to, to, to the point where we're trying to iteratively change and optimize the way of working, like similar to like ShapeUp doesn't have any events per se, but we included some of the events from Scrum framework to allow for some retrospective to happen, some refinement session to happen at the end of week three or so. So we, we don't get stuck into refinement all the time. We, we actually get to building and delivering. So we try to, to mix those things together. We try, we use a hill chart and sometimes, you know, it's, it's with Jira, of course, because we need to log our, our, our work somewhere. 
So this, we, we try to sort of make the best of, the, of those worlds. If you were to run through the playbook you have now for setting up a cycle, what does that look like? So I think uh, the the kickoff session is uh, done, of course, with the whole team, and we use uh, Miro as as a uh, as a whiteboard to capture us with a certain framework to go through a certain template to go through to capture the brainstorm of ideas, grouping those ideas together that match together. Then we uh, suss out the level of known versus unknown in those buckets of work. And then we come up with a structured refinement plan. So which bucket of work needs to come first? So obviously the red ones, the most unknown go, go first and the ones that unlock other buckets of work. So something, often things need to happen in a certain order. So you need to figure out something out first before you can actually uh, unlock some other work in, in, a, in a bucket. So you get an order. After that, uh, break out in, into sub-teams, so per, per bucket of work. So those sub-teams, cross, cross-functional sub-teams, then figure out the work. We start to capture things into Jira because we have actual tasks then coming from that session. So that's where Miro ends and, and, and Jira then takes over to, to log our, our efforts. Uh, we use uh, a, a, a hill chart. Uh, function free function that sort of allows the tracking of these buckets of work across uh, the bell curve um, and then we have uh, like i said uh, three times a week uh, stand-up session in which we have a look at those the pro- progress um, talk about and collaborate decisions that we made in the buckets of work and how they might affect things and then uh, we we take it through uh, that uh, mid cycle so end of week three we'll have a refinement session with the whole team and uh and um retrospective and then the second part of the cycle is obviously on on uh, getting it to done so building and delivering our uh, our selected options and then at the end of week six uh, we have another um retrospective and of course uh, a delivery of uh, of what we have attended Cool down and startup um, two weeks is more around like a typical sprint cadence in which we would take often non-critical bugs, errors that have popped out in our six-week cycle. And uh, if if we have time and an appetite for it, some innovation, some 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 new stuff that's on the shelf that's not particularly related to the delivery itself. Since you mentioned bugs, um, have you set up other systems to shield the kind of the teams working in the cycle from interruptions? Yeah, so this has been a challenge for us um, in terms of how to incorporate capacity for business as usual or bug fixing. Um, Our first sprint, we were kind of given leave to focus solely on what we were trying to deliver, Um, but we did get a couple creep-ins that ended up taking probably one of our developers half her capacity. Um, so she was frustrated um, at that because she just wanted to be a part of the delivery team doing the good work. Um, so that was something that we learned from our first sort of retrospective around how do we actually carve out assigned time. So setting up on a, you know, the beginning of a shape up, understanding that there will be a BAU um, or a bug um, fixes during the sprint. So we have to carve out capacity for that. 
So we've we've cut we've come up with a couple different ways, and we probably haven't fully settled on exactly what that will be. Um, but one of it is just saying, you know, zero point five developer capacity for the full sprint um, to deliver BAU um, as a part, and then they can that developer can switch between the two depending on what comes in as critical and what doesn't. Um, and then the other thing is actually having a BAU bucket uh, in the shape up setup. So it's sort of I guess we need to make sure that the stakeholders are um, they have an understanding of what capacity we have, uh, and as well as our team needs to understand if they are a part of that delivery channel, because if they get pulled away from work that the stress comes or the anxiety comes when they feel like they're failing at either one of those things. So if they're a part of the shape up sprint and they're trying to deliver something and, and then they get pulled away on urgent bugs, it's not that they're upset about working on the urgent bugs, it's they're upset about maybe they won't be able to deliver what we're asking them to and shape up. So that's my job to try to, to set expectations and carve out that capacity time to scope it properly. So still learning because of course you can't anticipate what is urgent, right? Um, so you have to sort of try to understand and remember, you know, carve out that time that yes, we're going to have and, and also rotate um, who is doing the work because you shouldn't always have the same person doing the bug fixing, if, if possible, right? Sometimes that just makes sense because they understand the, the infrastructure, but um, depending and trying to keep it mixed so people feel like they, they get to do exciting work, uh, the fun stuff, the creative stuff, and the, the bug fixing at the same time. Yeah, that's actually very similar to other teams that I've spoken to where they kind of just rotate uh, in an on-call type of fashion um, mm. and, and then see what comes in. Interesting. Now, what gave you the confidence to say, this is working so well, let's roll it out to the whole, I think you mentioned it, 20 teams, 21 teams? 21, yeah. I, I, yeah. Uh, and I do have to say some of those teams are really small, right? So it's not uh, not, not fully fledged. I think the e-com team is one of the bigger teams in, in the company. Um, yeah, what gave us the confidence, uh, quite simply, delivery. Of, of quality stuff at the end of each cycle. So it was really easy to point to you and say, listen, this is what we scoped out and, and, and committed to or forecasted if you wanna wanna stick uh, true to the to the Scrum guy, forecasted on and, and we actually delivered it. Or uh, I'm saying actually we, but the team delivered it. So um, that's, that's, I think, a, a, a very uh, good bit of evidence to point to. And at some point, you have to say, when does the pilot stop, right? It's 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 trial period. So uh, similar to any product that you take after you've done the trial period, you're you're well set up to say, listen, do I like this product, and would I like to invest some more into it? And having then three uh, successful cycles behind us, and uh, I think the team was uh, quite uh, outspoken as well on on their assessment of shape up, uh, that they liked it and they weren't wanted to rather pursue this over the Scrum framework that they were following. So then it's it's for the leadership team to think around, all right, do we want two different flavors of work framework happening? Uh, some teams following Scrum, some teams following ShapeUp. Or should we uh, see if, um, if ShapeUp works for other teams as well? At the end of last year, we had ex- extended the pilot into another team as well. So they were uh, also started to use ShapeUp as as their as their method. Um, so yeah, then 
it's sort of uh, aligned perfectly with the strategic priority set by the leadership team. So one of the two things that I, I was really adamant about when I started with GOSI was one was the refinement issue that we spoke earlier of, and two, that I felt there was a lack of connection between the priorities and the portfolio of initiatives that we were after. Uh, in the vein that I just talked about with uh, with uh, stop starting, start finishing. So we want to be really focused on which initiatives will take us to those priorities, to the success of those priorities, and how do we do that? So that's that's where this 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 upscaling came from. Do you put a line in the sand before and and say let's give us three cycles until we call it either a success or a failure, or was it kind of just I think it was even closer than that, right? So basically saying after cycle one, if we have failed miserably and everything went up to flames, I think it would have ended there. So I, I think the first cycle was like, all right, so that worked. Uh, then the second cycle was more around, well, we've been through, we've been through the lean, learning curve. So we understand a bit more, why wouldn't we do a second cycle then? And the team wanted to do so. And Melissa was happy to pursue it. And so... We started doing the second cycle, and then if you start to get into a cadence of success, it store it really reaffirms your belief that this is something that will work for us. And I think that's that's critically important, right? We could, we can talk anything, we can build a case, we can put evidence forward, we could do all the metrics in it, but at the end of the day, you need to have something to show for. So after three yeah. of three of those cycles, we have actually something significant to show for—not small stuff, but actually significant value to have been delivered at the end of those it was just uh, maybe a no-brainer melissa yeah absolutely i mean i had I'd, I'd had a tough conversation with the leadership team about projected delivery dates um before we kicked off shape up for what we were trying to deliver you know talking to various teams of that were doing the work um you know and i think we we brought forward that delivery by about four months which was wild <laughs> um so that was really the biggest um win out of it just going well I'd already had this tough conversation and then suddenly I had a very different conversation around um you know so we'd already done the kind of the hard stuff and then actually it was all it was like um under promising and over delivering in that in that way uh, so it felt great to just so with the team we, we have nothing to lose here we've got the time we've been given the grace this period to give this a crack let's see what we can get delivered and getting something out by the end of it was uh, not only great for me, but morally for the team, I think that just the positivity was phenomenal. And I think the ownership was huge. Um, I've never seen people be so invested in how something was performing ever, <laughs> you know, giving, yeah. you know, asking for metrics, asking for how people were using what, what we built and delivered um, was really exciting. And uh, yeah, just giving people owner ownership of the work as well was a huge piece of it. Um and we're, that's still a journey, right? We still we still have to work at that all the time to give people that autonomy and building that trust together. Um, but it was a no brainer for me. Um, but we are in, we're progressing through sprint one of the the full business, giving it a crack, and um, we'll see how we go. Feeling good about it? I am. Have Not you... sure how you feel, Bart. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been pulled in now as kind of in-house experts? How did you set up this rollout um, across the teams? I mean, you, you mentioned you took two days for a kickoff of one team. Uh, was the leadership fine saying, let's take two days for kind of 20 teams? 
<laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think I would have gotten that across the finish line, start line. Uh, anyways, no, uh, uh, it was basically up to uh, the people like myself and and uh, and the uh, people who were experienced in it by now, so Melissa and their team, to to see if we could scale it up. Uh, I pitched the framework on how to get from uh, the why, so the priorities of the company to delivery, so the how. So we, we uh, in that pitch and then that we started on, we made up, uh, we started working groups. So per strategic priority, a working group was started. So that meant a, a person was assigned as a working group lead. That working group lead was then tasked to find or select other people in the company to support um, ideating business ideas, initiatives that would execute that priority. Uh, to come up with a KPI for that priority. Um, and then uh, I supported that by going through a the typical framing and shaping structure of, of ShapeUp to get to a, a business case, essentially at the end, uh, leaning heavily on a, a cost of the idea versus the uh, estimated revenue, the gains of it, key metrics and, and uh, and effort needed to get it across the finish line. So at the end of it, we had a simple effort versus impact matrix to use to ascertain um, the different initiatives. And then leadership team uh, wrapped that up with uh, setting the priorities of that backlog of initiatives per working group. So if a working group had five initiatives that they felt uh, through their refinement of that initiative were valuable to pursue, uh, leadership team could select a business initiative to then be uh, be uh, taken on in the first cycle. So uh, February was a, a very intense month for us as all of those working groups got started and the initiatives were firmed up and, and, and everybody pulled in. Uh, so zero outside help essentially, uh, all, all powered by people in, in GoSee themselves, which I really like. Uh, it's really the perfect uh, setup for me in which the leadership team sets out uh, sets out the objectives but leaves it to the subject matter experts to come up with the actual initiatives to be taken on and and allow for a bit of refinement business case to be built and then some collaboration happening between all layers so and how do sorry yep. to interrupt but the the work group concept is uh, kind of a bit foreign to me how does that map to the teams like Melissa's team so um, Melissa's team is essentially then part of a department. So a collection of different teams together all aligned to the same goal. So we have a department commercial, we have a department uh, customer ops and so on. Um, so that's, that's, that's where Melissa's team is in, in, in the department marketing. Um, so the initiatives there were essentially uh, refinement of business initiatives. And then it's up to the department to go, do we have the right allocation of resources to make those initiatives happen? So what that means is on department level, you would have three different types of work coming in. One is business usual work. So keeping the lights on, that needs to happen. Then we would have current initiatives, projects, builds that were still you know, on deck. So either need to finish them or, or put them back on the, the back burner. And then working group initiatives 
So selected initiatives that were then as a request to the department to do something with. So our kickoff was not as much breaking down uh, um, initiatives, new initiatives. The first question was more if we have 100% of a pie of resources to allocate, how much percentage do we want to give to BAU work, to current initiatives or new initiatives? And do we, do we, what's the emphasis there? I think that was, that's the significant difference between taking it from a team to, to a bigger scale. And then after that conversation, to wrap that point up, it's more than, uh, I think, in, especially in, in uh, Melissa's team, there were three new initiatives that needed to be refined then via the typical kickoff template. But luckily enough, they were very capable, of course, by this point to do so. Hmm. So our team is, is delivering the work of the, as a part of a, a delivery team of the work that gets set by the working groups. So for us, it was a slightly different way to have work funneled into our team. So before, because we were the first people kicking off into shape up, um, we sort of had, you know, work defined. Um, and, and it was in individual conversations with the leadership team that I would come in every month and say, these are the kind of my roadmap. And we would have sort of a, a discussion around what I thought was the best thing to do. And then that would layer of, and it would come to an agreement in the room around what was the right thing to do. And generally, generally we were always aligned with that. Um, however, there was often interruptions, maybe not so much in the first shape up because they knew what we were doing, but before then a lot of interruptions um, around priorities and kind of, you know, that, oh, this needs to be done and have, oh, where are you at with this? Um, so I guess the great thing about the working groups, and you probably have heard of the term tribe, it's similar to that, um, is that because every one of the working groups are working um, at the same time, and then we all come together to say these are the things that we think are the most important things that will deliver the goal, right? So we know what our, we set KPIs in the working groups, we, we know what we're trying to achieve, so then the initiatives come out of that. What do we think is going to move the needle the fastest? Um then that is forced overseen and agreed by from the full leadership team. So there's no interruptions, right? You've got your resource for the sprint, you've got what you're delivering, and then you've got your BAU. So there should technically be no interruption unless there's something obviously that shakes the ground and we have to pause a piece of work. But everyone in the whole business knows what the work is going to be done in all the teams, um, which is before none of us really would know what was going on in ops or none of us would really know what was going on in finance unless you'd hear, um, you know, if you made sure you always attend, attended the sprint reviews, um, but some people wouldn't be there. And, you know, it's just really hard to have that full understanding. And I think that's been great so far as to see at that level what has been prioritized across the teams. Yeah, that makes it all a lot more relatable, um, mm -hmm. understandable for me. Thank you. So uh, one thing I want to ask you about is some kind of the most common doubts, questions, concerns you've gotten. Well, you have a l lots of uh, doubts, of course, when you try something new. I think uh, on stakeholder level, you have some doubts to say, we are trying something new. Uh, is my investment going to pay off? Which is a fair question that needs to be answered by any product uh, person um, so things like all right so I have something in six weeks or uh, uh, how does this whole model work they take two weeks off after that they just twiddle their thumbs and just have a couple of beers together how does that work I'm just 
uh, exaggerating to make the point, obviously. Um, but th those are some some key key questions to answer to give us much insight on what's going to happen. Um, some some concerns around we were in a cadence of delivery every two weeks, and now it takes three times as long then. So we are not being agile at all, and that's what we wanted to have. Now we go back to a sort of typical waterfall delivery, potentially. So I think those are some questions to mitigate around the scope of the initiative you pull in. So cycle one, we had a large scope, so we needed to spend the six weeks at it. Uh, whereas potentially in other cycles like we're doing now, uh, there are some smaller deliveries. So you would be delivering every two weeks dependent on what you pull into your cycle. So that sort of sussed out some of those doubts. Um, and then, um, like I uh, talked about earlier, the mindset shift towards needing to ideate, brainstorm, let your voice be heard rather than coding alone and working and feeling maybe some anxiety around, I'm not doing anything right now. I'm, I, I don't. I don't think this is this is good. I want to be doing something. It feels like I'm not being productive, and and that's not the point at all. But you know that's that's some stuff that will come up throughout uh, the kickoff. The only last point I want to add is the potential for testing and learning that we need to do that early, earlier on. Incorporate it. Make sure that we. Uh, make sure that we do the right things there because that at the end of our first cycle, definitely uh, a point of attention for success. Mm, bringing, um, bringing testers in really early on because um, unfortunately for them, sometimes it's an afterthought. You just think about what you're building and delivering. Um, and, you know, luckily we had a pretty outspoken tester in our team that made it known early, reasonably early on that, when she needed at least, you know, their team needed two weeks of end-to-end -end testing and we hadn't scoped that in. So that was definitely a learning for us. Um, so now we have, uh, what we've done to mitigate that is have represent representation in our um, collaborative meetings earlier on, bringing a tester to that, um, just so they have full idea of what we're trying to deliver. So we have to be careful of their time too. So there's always balance, um, but keeping them up to date early on around delivery. And, and we will see how that works out as well. Now that we have everyone on the same cycle run, um, that's going to be a, a certain challenge for us. And that was flagged really early on. So um, we will, we are doing our best to uh, get things tested early in the sprint um, and, kind of breaking down pieces of delivery like Bart mentioned um, but time will tell to see if how we get there in the end um, and yeah uh, I think some of the things that are risky and still can be risky in this is that you think that the first couple of days you might have nailed your refinement and um, I can let myself get very busy with other things that need attention um, and if things go quiet for too long, I notice um, that is a, a red flag for me in terms of uh, if I'm not seeing um, collaboration sessions happen and meetings, cross-functional meetings happen, smaller groups, right? We That's what I want to see. I want to see people um, who don't know what they're, 
it's the unknown, right? So if they're not sure of what they're working on, that is a major problem. So what I'm hoping is, and what I'm asking people to do is if you're unsure of the work, that is the call to, to put a meeting together mm-hmm. with a few people that where you can say, well, this is what I think I'm working on this, but I'm not sure, or I'm not sure if this is the right priority of the work that I'm working on. So that's, that's an issue. And we've had a couple of sprints where, you know, that gets caught say halfway through and we've been working, maybe the developers are picking up work that's much lower in the, in the list of things to do. Like they're the marked green work because they're easy um, yeah. other reasons why that gets picked up quickly is it's, we've got a live, uh, we're live now. So it was very different at the beginning. We were not live with this new thing, so we could focus and be really tunnel vision on it. But now it's live. We're getting real data in all the time and we're seeing things happen. Um, it's really easy. And for me too, to drop everything and try to fix something. Or, um, if you see, say a user in a field and it's blocked or there's certain things that, you know, behaviors you're seeing, you just want to drop everything and fix that. Um, so that's a new challenge, um, that, that, that quick work, that turnaround. Um, so that needs to probably be baked into some sort of BAU stream, um, and capacity for that, um, which is tricky because we're also live and then it's a test and we turn it off and then we're live. So trying to, um, just make sure there's capacity for that um, and also be really, really, and, I, and I'm, I, I find myself being a bit of a, I'm just repeating myself a lot, but it's just that is what's happening is I'm saying, remember everyone, you know, the red boxes, the unknowns is what happens first. Um, and if I start getting notifications and without trying to be a micromanager, but if I start seeing things work getting picked up, that is in those green boxes a lot, you know, that happens a lot. Um, so I'm just light reminder guys you know that's that's the last thing we're supposed to be doing we're trying to do the hard things first because it's it's you know that's the stuff you want to procrastinate on because it's hard so just having that's the biggest watch out for me now is just making sure that we're doing the refinement and the work early on the hard work yeah that's an amazing um amazing kind of watch out for other people as well who are trying this because it's so easy just from my own experience to get to procrastinate on the hard things and get pulled into the easy stuff and get those quick wins, feel good about yourself, but then get bitten in the butt and down yep. the road. Do you have any other thoughts on kind of kinks that you still perceive or is that it really? I think there's, there's always so many. more stuff. <laughs> so many, I get, I, especially when now we're, we're, we've scaled it up. So mm. resources will be an interesting uh, bottleneck potentially. Right. So we don't have, I don't know, 100 full stack developers in our company so there will always be a certain um, stress on that demand same goes for ux same goes for any role in particular um, however i think you know once we have i think we have the right attitude when it comes to trying to acknowledge them and trying to fix them uh, so now in this today, we have a discussion around how do we allocate business usual work to which department does that go? If there's cross-functional work in that, how do we keep on track of that? So those kind of things I think will continue to pop up. And, and for me anyways, it keeps it interesting, right? Is, is, if everything is um, perfect and, and, and there are no bottlenecks, I'm, I will get a bit nervous maybe because it's not reality. In reality, you have always something flying in. So maybe a stakeholder wants something differently to be done in a mid-cycle 
or you know that those those kind of uh, uh, bottlenecks we'll still have to work through and and to be fair this is our first cycle as a company so maybe we should revisit this question <laughs> in a few weeks to see if we've actually been able to make good on our word and deliver something of significant value as a company at the end of uh, at the end of cycle one. But I feel fully confident that we will. Is there because one of the main goals of the the this series of talks that I'm doing with teams who've adopted ShapeUp is help others understand could this be for our team? Could this fix the issues that we are seeing and how to go about it? Um, knowing what you know now, is there anything, any pieces of advice, pieces of wisdom that you would give to those teams? Wisdom even. <laughs> you, see, you set the bar high. Um, potentially some experiences from my end and, uh, and Melissa has no doubt I will share some more. Um, for me, it would be uh, refinement is always an issue, even for us, right? In shape up is also an ongoing uh, point of attention. So I think uh, it wouldn't hurt to have at least a look at the the shape up way of working, read the book, uh, talk to some practitioners. I think that's really important. Uh, there's a forum you can you can reach out to me, you can reach out to to you, David, or other people, or Melissa. So just uh, Share your thoughts, experiences, where you be honest about the bottlenecks you're facing and give it a go. Just set the scope for a smaller uh, delivery that you want to have with the team um, and just give it a go. Yeah, I think giving it a go is, is and just, you know, committing yourself to a sprint, I think, is is, is a great, easy way in, right? Um, just not to throw people out the bath <laughs> it's not quite the right saying but um uh and be prepared for that grief cycle you know the change cycle so that's something that I learned a lot about and I was lucky enough to be going through a, a leadership training at the same time and it was interesting because we had a session on the cycle of grief being similar to the cycle of change where you you start going through denial it's not really happening. I'm not really engaging. This is not really happening to me. And then once the acceptance part hits, you drop down and you go, whoa, like I, this is really, really uncomfortable. Um, and I start getting a little bit mad or sad or, and that just um, understanding that that was really helpful for me because I just it gave me a little bit of faith. Um, I'm probably scaring people, <laughs> but I guess that was really helpful for me to just understand it's a natural human reaction um, to when you ask them to completely change their way of working. It's a big ask. Um, and Bart and I had weeks of thinking and investigating and Bart more than me even of understanding the why of that. Um, so it was so much, I remember Bart and I going back to the why again and again. And so being prepared um, with the why um, and why you were trying this, what, what's the purpose, what were the challenges we've had before, and guess what? If it doesn't solve those problems, we're happy to move back. Um, so just trying to keep people feeling as safe as possible um, was really important. Um, so that was that would be, you know, yep, do the, do the, do the research a little bit, uh, do the learning, and then having a little bit of a, a good 
understanding of the of the kickoff and your structure for that. So don't go unprepared into that. Um, it was wonderful to have a template to follow, and we've tweaked it um, over time to to make um, sure it works for us, but not much. You know, the the first round and the understanding of the buckets. Bart pushed us really hard to make sure the buckets were collaborative. So that's something that we haven't really talked about yet, but it's really tempting for people to put um, their work into a bucket, you know, a front end bucket, a back end bucket, a UX bucket or whatever bucket. And we were really uncomfortably pushed to say, no, what is the theme? The theming of the buckets had to be around. Um, it couldn't, basically the rule wasn't, it can't be like that. We've got to, it's got to be more about, and we would, we ended up, making it really fun and the themes were really creative we kind of came up with these silly names about if, it, if we were trying to deliver something to do with currency it was like it's all about the money and putting emojis in and being silly and try to keep it light um and so those buckets ended up having you know we you know there'd always be a, a design element a front-end element and a back-end element to deliver that one say feature um so that was really crucial because then that naturally lent um, collaborative meetings with those people and you suddenly kind of had allocated people to pieces of work yeah. that um, would join you know the catch-ups um, and then the bucket owners as well to make sure that those catch-ups happened right if they weren't happening then the bucket owner was accountable for why so they had to turn up to the stand-ups and say this is what we did or we have a meeting booked on Monday this is what we're going to discuss um, so keeping the individuals accountable was really important and we didn't do that initially and now you know we back that in so that's been a really good um improvement but um you don't know until you don't know (laughs) until you do it yeah exactly (laughs) exactly awesome uh the template is that something you would feel comfortable sharing with the community or is that something where you're like this is trade secret stuff yeah of course i think with every template it does deserve a bit of um uh, commentary and walkthrough. If you mm. take the template on its own, it may be a bit too daunting. And often when you start pitching the template or it's my experience, you would need a couple of filled out examples. Yeah. Because if you, t- if you talk, look only at the template, it might be like, all right, I see boxes and things. And what am I supposed to do here? Yeah. So that would be helpful though. But you know, of course, um, if anybody wants to reach out or, or feel like they want to, uh, they want to start up with shape up or or need any information or help just reach out mm. it'd be cool to hear see what other people are doing i'm sure that you know people who are running shape up have a very different way of kicking off so i'm sure we could learn a lot more about you know and add-ons or takeaways from ours for sure how can people reach you yeah, I'm uh, well. I'm happy to leave my uh, work email. That's 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 one way to do it. Um, LinkedIn, you can find me there if you just uh, plug in my uh, my name. Likely, there's only one Bartwin in in LinkedIn. So uh, I think so. <laughs> Maybe have a doppelganger somewhere. Uh, we'll see. But you know that that's the way to reach out. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I can uh, leave my details with you, David. You can you can add that to the description. I'll put it the in the podcast. show notes. Yeah, 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 definitely. Cool. And same for me. Email and LinkedIn, Melissa Matthews. There might be a few of us. <laughs> Only one that works at GoSee, though. However, we've recently hired a Melissa Matchett. So, that's it. Um, yeah. That's very confusing. <laughs> very similar. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I'm going to make sure to put the right ones in the show notes. <laughs> oh, good. Um, oh, good. So, yeah, really, I appreciate it. There's so much in in our conversation that I think others will benefit from. Thank you so much for sharing your story.
There you have it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Bartvin and Melissa. I certainly did. If you like this show, it really goes a long way if you leave a favorable review wherever you are listening to this. And to find jobs at companies that work with ShapeUp, like GoSee, remember to check out shapers.builders. Again, that really is our domain. So thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a great day. Music